When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gamarjoba, and welcome to the history of Sacartvelo, Georgia. I am your host, Roberto, and this is Myth One Jason and the Argonauts. I decided to take a small break from the narrative to look at some myths I have mentioned so far. We're going to start with the myth that involves Colchis, Jason and the Argonauts. While these Greek adventurers don't spend much time in Colchis, the myth has a lot of influence on the modern cultural identity of the Georgians, like the many uses of the image of the Golden Fleece throughout Georgian history. What I had planned for this episode was to have a condensed retelling of Jason and the Golden Fleece, but in my own style. For anyone who wants to know, I read Richard Hunter's translation of Apollonius of Rhodes' original Argonautica. I also skim over some parts that could be considered important for the sake of time, so I highly recommend reading the book for yourself. After the episode, I will bring in my friend and the editor of the show, Brendan Foster, to discuss everything we have heard. Gather round the campfire, my friends, and listen well to this tale. We will travel back to an era long past, where magic and monsters roam the world, where the gods decided what was meant to be solely for their own entertainment. We will go back to a time before the blood was spilt in the battle against the Trojans. We shall speak about the tale of Jason and the Argonauts. Their journey takes them to the end of the world, to the distant land of Colchis, in search of the Golden Fleece. The search itself has entered the annals of legends, but how did Jason manage this feat? Listen, and listen well, for you shall now be told. We begin when the great Jason was but a helpless newborn. His uncle Pelias imprisoned his father, King Aeson, in his bid for power and dominion over Thessaly. He began to erase Aeson's descendants one by one to ensure he left no heirs. Little did Pelias know that Aeson and his wife Alcimede had just given birth to the child fated to be his undoing, Jason. Fearing for the life of her newborn child, Alcimede sent Jason away to be reared by the centaur, Chiron. Once Pelias had learned of what had happened, he immediately went to consult the oracle. He foresaw the demise of Pelias at the hands of a man from the country, wearing only one sandal. Years passed by, and Pelias has not seen the man foretold of, until the one day he decides to hold a sacred feast as an offering to his father, Poseidon, and all the other gods, save the queen of the gods herself, Hera. Jason hears of this feast and makes his way to participate. During this journey, Jason comes across an old woman and he helps her cross the streams of the Anaros River. In the process, he manages to save one sandal from the mud, but his other sandal is lost. Through this act of kindness, Jason won the patronage of Hera, 
who was disguised as the old woman, and she would go on to assist him several times throughout his journey. Upon his arrival to the palace, Pelias immediately took note of Jason's missing sandal, and set upon scheming to prevent his end. Racked with fear and unsure of what to do, Pelias asked Jason what he would do if he met the man he knew would be his downfall. Jason responds that he would send him after the Golden Fleece, a magic ram skin at the edge of the earth in Colchis. Knowing this to be a suicide mission, Pelias challenged Jason to do just that. While this would be an impossible task for any ordinary man, Jason had the assistance of his patron, Hera. She had Athena, goddess of wisdom, advise the shipwright Argus to build a ship named the Argo, while Jason began his quest of gathering a group of heroes to aid him. He searched far and wide across Greece for powerful, talented, and skilled heroes, recruiting the likes of demigods such as Heracles, the hero that almost single-handedly bested the fearsome many-headed snake, the Hydra, and Orpheus, the man who sung and played his lyre so beautifully that it tamed wild beasts and made the trees themselves dance. In this and other versions of the story, crew members also include the twins Castor and Pollux, also known as the Dioscuri, the namesake of the colonial Greek city of Dioscurias, now known as Suchimik, Georgia. Other versions also include Theseus, founder hero of Athens and slayer of the Minotaur, and the Boreads, winged sons of the cold and bustery north wind Boreas. After gathering the crew together, the task of finding a leader to take them to Colchis came up. Who would lead the brave Argonauts? The crew, seeing the mighty Heracles, decided to unanimously elect him since he is the strongest among them all. Heracles, however, reneges on the decision and advises that the person who had been bequeathed the challenge and who gathered the crew together should be the one to lead them. The crew, heeding Heracles' advice, agrees, and Jason rejoices. Jason orders the crew to begin preparations for a feast and for their departure. During this same feast, Jason became absorbed in his thoughts about the task before him, leading Idas, one of the crew members, to accuse him of cowardice. The prophet Idmon accused Idas himself of drunken vainglory, almost causing a fight to break out among the Argonauts before they even set sail. However, before their fists reached their marks, the bard Orpheus's voice floated through the air, the beauty of his song soothing everyone. They departed from Thessaly the next morning to the sound of Orpheus's music. The Argonauts first arrive at Lemnos, ruled by Queen Hypsipyle. While there, they discover that the women have revolted and murdered all the men on the island due to the men's violent desire for slave girls, causing them to spurn their wives. The Lemnian woman, now alone, take up tasks meant for men, such as cattle grazing, farming, and warfare with ease. Upon the arrival of the all-male crew, the woman gathered at the behest of Queen Hypsipyle in a parliament and came to the decision that the Argonauts should remain and settle the island among with them. As leader, Jason is summoned by Queen Hypsipyle. On his way there, he wraps himself in a magnificent purple cloak that was made for him by Athena. Upon Jason's arrival, Hypsipyle became immediately smitten with Jason and has him move into the palace with her. Most of the crew, save for Heracles and a few others, joined the other women in their homes. Days and days pass, the departure from the island seems further and further away. Heracles, seeming time wasted away, becomes furious and assembles the Argonauts. As Heracles scolds his crewmates, he then appeals to their sense of duty reminding them of their quest and that they did not come to Lemnos in search of brides, but instead went traveling to search for glory. The Argonauts, now thoroughly chastised by Heracles, prepare for departure. 
much to the chagrin of the Lemnian woman. As Jason leaves the queen, he tells her that if she managed to bear him any children, that they should go to his parents. She does bear him children, twins in fact, one of whom goes on to lead Lemnos as king. Jason is the first to step a foot on the Argo once again, and the crew follows him to sail towards Colchis. Our heroes find themselves arriving at the Hellespont, a strait known today as the Dardanelles, where they reach the island of the Doliones, descendants of Poseidon. The Doliones were led by Kizikis, who proceeded to give the Argonauts a friendly welcome and respite from their long voyage at sea. During the festivities, Jason asked King Kizikis about the lands and neighboring cities. While this information was freely given as far as the Doliones were capable, their knowledge didn't extend far beyond the nearest lands. The following morning, some of the Argonauts ascended the peak of Dindemon to scout sea routes for the continuation of their journey and are rushed by the Doliones' neighbors, savage, six-armed, earthborn men. The Argonauts repelled the earthborn men and returned to the Doliones that night. Mistaking them as more enemies, the crew battled the Doliones. In the confusion, King Kizikis was killed by Jason. Upon learning of her husband's death, Queen Clyte sent her soul to Hades. Grief over the losses incurred on both sides brought the Argonauts and Doliones together once more, but something sinister keeps the heroes on shore. As the days pass, a crew member named Mopsus began to notice omens sent by Rhea, mother of the gods. Coming to Jason with this information, the Argonauts ecstatically and skillfully carve Rhea's holy image and celebrate with a feast in her honor. The following dawn, they depart. As they sail, our heroes felt boredom gnaw at their minds and proceeded to compete to see who can row the longest. They began rowing, each successive rower rowing harder than the last, growing more and more tired. At last, it came to be Heracles' turn. As he rowed powerfully, pushing the Argo forward, his might shattered the oar, causing him to fall to the side into the sea. Recovering Heracles from the sea, his oar now split in two and missing its other half, they made landfall at the mouth of the Chios River. Heracles, of course, ran off to find himself suitable wood for a new oar. Hylas, Heracles' squire, separated himself from the crew to fetch water from a sacred spring to prepare his master's dinner. Upon reaching the spring, Hylas stumbled upon water nymphs preparing for their dance to honor Artemis. The nymph of the spring was enraptured by Hylas's beauty and abducted him as he filled the urn at the spring. Time passed with no word from Hylas, and Heracles became worried about his companion. He took Polyphemus with him to search for Hylas, and Jason decides to set sail without the trio. As they're sailing, Jason is accused of trying to take more glory for himself by leaving Heracles behind. However, a sea god named Glaucus emerged from the depths of the sea and assured them that it is the will of the gods for Heracles to be without them, before quickly disappearing again. The Argonauts continue on to Colchis. Our heroes arrived on the shores of Bithynia, home of the Bebrycians, who are ruled by King Amicus, who demands a boxing match with the sea wanderers, as was required of him by law. Slighted by such words, Polydeuchus becomes enraged and volunteered as champion to save the honor of the crew against Amicus in a duel of fisticuffs. Amicus and Polydeuchus began their battle, and the latter quickly found himself overwhelmed by Amicus the Man Mountain. Polydeuchus, however, does manage to dodge the Baraka of attacks using his wits, and escapes without injury. Polydeuchus then stood his ground and began retaliating against him blow for blow. 
This barrage continued until Amicus attempted to crash his heavy fist onto Polydeucus's head, who used his speed to dodge the blow and receive it on his shoulder. At the same time, Polydeucus secured his victory by striking Amicus above the ear and shattering the bones in his head. However, the rest of the Bibrisians, seeing their king defeated, were unable to accept these results and rushed forward to attack Polydeucus. With the normal swiftness of heroes, the Argonauts were able to intercept and chase off the Bibrisians. Seeing an opportunity to resupply, the heroes took the sheep of these enemies on board of the Argo and left the following day after a much-deserved rest. Coming upon the opposite coast, they found themselves near the home of Phineas, former king of the Thinians. Former king, you ask. Whatever happened to Phineas? Well, my friends, the gods granted Phineas great power as a prophecy. So great, in fact, that he even knew the machinations of the gods and willingly gave away these divine secrets. This so angered Zeus that he afflicted him with extremely old age, blindness, and daily visits from harpies who tormented him by stealing his food and leaving a smell so foul that no mortal could bear it. Upon their arrival, the crew of the Argo discovered they had no need to introduce themselves as Phineas's great powers of prophecy remained. In exchange for information on the safest route to Colchis, Phineas asked that they chase the harpies away, as he knows they are fated to do. The winged Boreads, Zetis, and Calais drove the harpies away after luring them with a trap, sending them far back into the caves. The Argonauts, you guessed it, threw another feast, and Phineas gratefully reveals the safest route to the end of the earth, Colchis. Thanks to Phineas's advice, aid from Athena, and the pirating skills of Typhus, the crew of Argo made its way past the clashing rock shaken, but in one piece, and enter the Black Sea. They came upon a deserted island and anchored the ship momentarily. The crew spotted Apollo flying high above them on his way to visit the Hyperboreans. The island shook and the waves crashed intensely as Apollo made his journey. At the sight of such a miracle, Orpheus, who learned to plate the lyre from Apollo himself, renames the island Apollo of the Dawn. The Argonauts proceed to build an altar and offer sacrifices to the sun god and a shrine to commemorate their voyage. The next stop of our journey takes us to the outlet of the river Acheron, where the heroes met with Lycus, king of the Meridinians, and an enemy to the now-dead king Amicus of the Bibrisians. The fame of the Argonauts preceded them, and King Lycus treats them to hospitality and festivities in gratitude for the defeat of his rival. As they prepare for their departure, however, they are delayed by the deaths of Idmon and Typhus. While Typhus the pilot died of an unknown disease, Idmon the seer is gored to death by a boar. Whether or not he foresaw his death depends on the version of the story. After a period of intense mourning for their lost companions, the Argonauts built two tombs to commemorate them and set off once more. It is said today that a temple was built over Idmon's grave by the citizens of the city of Heraclea, today known as Karadeniz Eregli in Turkey. They arrived at the Amazonian port of the river Thermodon, but quickly fled after the displeased Amazonians prepared to drive them off. They headed to the deserted island of Area, where the Amazonians had built a temple for Ares. They were suddenly attacked by the island's only inhabitants, native birds filled with the bloodthirsty spirit of the god of war. The Argonauts managed to survive this onslaught. They located shipwreck and four survivors. Who were these survivors? Why? They were the four sons of Phrixus, who just so happened to be the grandson of King Aedes of Colchis. Jason eagerly welcomes them to his crew, taking it as a positive omen that his quest will be successful. The sons of Phrixus, however, 
are alarmed at Jason's goal and tell him that Aedes will not receive them kindly upon arrival to Colchis. They soon depart. After days of sailing, the Argonauts spot the Caucasus Mountains where the Titan Prometheus, who created humanity and was punished for stealing fire from the gods, is imprisoned. For someone whose name means forethought, he probably should have seen this coming. The crew spots the eagle sent by Zeus fly towards Prometheus, noting that it is as large as their ship. Soon enough, the wretched groans of Prometheus choked the land as his liver was torn out and consumed by the eagle. The sailors came to the mouth of the Faces River, the main waterway of Colchis, and rode their way upstream. They passed the Cataean city of Aya, capital of Colchis, and a plain of Ares that houses the Golden Fleece on an oak tree, guarded by an ever-watchful serpent. Or dragon, depending on the story. They rode to a thick marsh and anchored the ship. They rested for the night and proceeded the following dawn. As our heroes hid in the backwaters of Colchis, formulating their strategy, Hera and Athena plotted their next move. Moving away from any prying ears, they discussed how to best aid Jason in his quest. Between them, a plan was formed. Use the beautiful princess, sorceress, and priestess of Hecate, queen of witchcraft, Medea. Medea was the daughter of King Aedes of Colchis, and her skills in magic were too valuable to pass up. To accomplish this task, they enlisted the help of Aphrodite, goddess of love and feminine beauty. With a toy, she bribed her infant son Eros, god of love and desire, into shooting his arrows at the witch princess. We return to the mortal realm to find our heroes sitting on the benches of the Argo in an assembly. As they coordinated their plan, Jason listened to the opinions of his comrades, before giving his own. Jason's plan? To use the powers of persuasion on King Aedes before attempting to seize a golden fleece by might. The Argonauts gave their consent to this plan. Jason took Telamon, Augeas, and the sons of Phrixus with him to Aedes' palace. As they passed through the plains of Circe, they found men hanging from trees, as if part of a burial ritual, while women were buried in the ground. Hera, as always, continued scheming to aid Jason in his plight against Pelias and set a thick mist upon the city so that the Colchians were unable to notice the approach of the Argonauts. As they arrived unnoticed, the mist dispersed and they saw the magnificence of the palace, ornamented by the works of Hephaestus, god of metalworking. As they snuck through the palace, Jason and his companions encountered Medea, who by chance was running to meet her sister Chalciope, the mother of the sons of Phrixus. Medea saw the party and let out a blood-curdling scream that alerted the whole palace to their presence. Chalciope arrived first and wept with joy at the sight of her lost sons. Aetes and his wife Idia appeared last. In the midst of all this commotion now occurring, Eros moved invisibly through the crowd and knocked his arrow. From Jason's feet, he loosed his golden arrow and struck Medea. As the power of the arrow flowed through her, her heart burned with such a passion that shockwaves of pain reverberated through her body and her mind filled with thoughts of Jason. After Aetes learned of Jason's journey and quest for the Golden Fleece from his grandsons, he flew into a rage. His anger only deepened upon hearing that they wished it to take it as payment for the return voyage to Iolcus. Jason, seeing this rage, used his skills of persuasion to calm down Aetes. This calm was a farce, however, as Aedes believed his grandsons and Jason were conspiring to steal Colchis from him. Aedes then challenged Jason to a series of tasks for the Golden Fleece. First, Jason would plow the plain of Ares with fire-breathing oxen. Then, he would sow the four acres of the plains with dragon's teeth 
and defeat the army of men that would arise from these teeth before they could kill him. Aetes, of course, as the son of Helios, the personification of the sun, could perform these tasks easily. Jason thought for a moment and agreed to the terms, albeit reluctantly. He left the palace and returned to his companions in the backwater to inform them of the deal he had just struck with the scheming king. As he departed, Medea, knowing these tasks to be a suicide mission, grieved for Jason as if he were a dead man walking. Argos, son of Phrixus, mentions to the crew that they should enlist the help of Medea since her knowledge of drugs would be useful to them and get Chalciope to persuade her. Jason believes that there is nothing wrong in asking, but laments that their chances must be slim if they must rely on women for their safe return. Back at the palace, the scheming Aetes told his court of his plans to destroy the Argonauts as soon as Jason fails his tasks, including his grandsons, since they brought these pirates to steal his possessions and title. Aetes then mentions that he was foretold in an oracle of his father, Helios, that he would be destroyed by a member of his family. Aetes, do you not know how you bring about your own destruction with your own paranoia? Medea, having overheard her father's plan, went to bed and dreamed of herself completing Jason's task for him. Being of Aetes' blood, she manages to complete these effortlessly, but since the task was for Jason and not for her, Jason failed. A dispute arose between the king and priestess, and the priestess took the side of Jason. She awoke afraid of her father's wrath and how her reputation would suffer from helping Jason. Chalciope rushed into Medea's room, having heard her cries. Chalciope convinces Medea that the lives of her children depend upon her. Upon Chalciope's departure, Medea was torn between hope and fear, even going so far to consider going to Hades. She opened her chest of drugs and looked for something to end her suffering. Instead, she selected something that would aid Jason during his trials. Arousing her maidservants from their slumber, Medea had them prepare a wagon to take her to the temple of Hecate to meet with Jason. She prepared the drug of Prometheus, which granted to the one who consumes it invulnerability to all blows and flames, and increased might and strength. Medea took the reins of the wagons, rushed to the temple, and swore her maids to secrecy. As Medea made her way to the temple, Argos leads Jason to meet with her. Spotting Jason, Medea's heart sprung forward, making her lose all strength of will. Jason himself lost all semblance of strength himself. They looked at each other, speechless. Jason then broke the silence, and their love for each other burst forth. He reminded Medea that he is at her mercy, and if she aids him in obtaining the fleece, he will make her famous throughout Greece. Medea handed the drug to Jason, and promised that if he ever forgot her kindness, she would travel to Greece herself and rebuke him for forgetting that she had lost everything in aiding him. Jason, however was now completely infatuated with Medea, and told her that he will be unable to forget her and urges her to return with him to Greece as his wife. Medea was unwilling to commit to anything at this moment, and returned to the palace in a dreamlike state. Jason returned to the ship, and his companions greeted him eagerly minus the vainglorious Idas, who considered a woman's aid the loss of heroic status. That night, Jason prepared the rituals necessary to consume the drug of Prometheus. The following morning, the people of Colchis gathered around the riverbank to watch Jason complete his tasks. Aetes, with a flyer for the dramatic, appeared in full armor on his chariot, riding around the riverbank and reveling in his own magnificence. Off in the distance on the river Phasis, the shape of the Argo came into view. He moored a ship along the river's edge, and Jason of Thessaly began his tasks. Unbeknownst to King Aetes, 
who believed that Jason would lose his life, his own daughter had prepared his downfall. Oh, King Aedes, how you have brought down your own doom. Your own paranoia were the seeds for your loss of the Golden Fleece. Jason easily conquered the monstrous, fire-breathing oxen, plowed through the fields as required, and sowed the field with the deadly dragon's teeth. He briefly returned to the Argonauts before an army of men sprung from the teeth and readied themselves to attack Jason. Remembering upon Medea's crafty advice, Jason threw a great rock among them. Not seeing from where the rock came, the soldiers attacked and destroyed one another. Aetes stood dumbfounded at Jason's success. He returned to the palace, plotting to wriggle his way out of his promise to Jason. The sun descended, and night fell, bringing Jason's task to an end. Hera, however, had cast fear into Medea's heart. Aedes discovered her betrayal, and she once again contemplated poisoning herself. Instead, she decided to flee Colchis with Jason and her nephews, not knowing of Hera's aid. She rushed out of the palace barefoot, and the moon roared with malicious laughter as it recalls all the times that Medea's magic brought her to Earth. Medea arrived at the Argonauts' camp and pleaded and begged for their protection from King Aedes, who was preparing for an attack against the Argonauts. To sweeten the deal, Medea offers to help steal the Golden Fleece from the quite literally tireless serpent that guards it. As Medea spoke of her grief, Jason made an oath under the name of Zeus and Hera that Medea would become his lawfully wedded wife upon his return home to Greece. Our lovers soon head over to the plains of Ares, where the Golden Fleece hung. Using her drugs, Medea lulled the snake to sleep while Jason acquired the Golden Fleece from the oak. Returning to the Argo, Jason delighted at the fleeces shined underneath the moonbeams, seeming like a young girl with a new radiant dress. At Medea's behest, the Argo soon departed for Greece. Aetes, however, has safeguards for their attempted departure. He sent out a swarm of vessels as numerous as a flock of birds after the Argo. The first fleet successfully navigates the clashing rocks, but goes no further. The second fleet, however, was led by Absyrtus, Medea's half-brother, and follows the Argo closely up the river Ister. As they sailed through the tributaries and came to the Sea of Cronus, the Argonauts were finally cornered on the Bridgian Isles by Absyrtus. Absyrtus and Jason attempted to talk peace and reach a deal. Absyrtus promised Jason that he could keep the Golden Fleece, as he had won it fairly, but Medea must be held by Artemis and separated from everyone until they could get a neighboring king to mediate the issue and pass judgment on what is to be done with Medea. Jason had to choose between giving up Medea or taking her home to Greece. Medea overheard this plan and was overcome with fury, scolding Jason, as she only wanted to save him from suffering and help complete his tasks. By giving him aid, she even brought shame to her name and the name of all women. By pleading to return with Jason to Greece, not wanting to face her father's judgment, she pointed out that Jason would go home safely no matter what the outcome of the mediation, while she had lost her home. Seeing that she needed to find a way to escape the situation, Medea came up with a plan. Murder. The plan is murder. To ease Absyrtus's mind, they sent him a vast number of gifts. However, Medea oh so casually mentioned that their nephews had tricked her into aiding them and stealing the Golden Fleece and that she was really sorry and just wanted to go back home and be a family again. Absyrtus believed her, went to the temple where she and Jason lied in wait. As soon as Absyrtus entered the temple, Jason killed him and dismembered his body, which is apparently a loophole to avoid the wrath of the Furies. Now leaderless, the remaining Colchians were in a state of confusion and lost the fleeing Argonauts. 
rather than return to Colchis empty-handed, they decided that they better remain where they were and settled around the coast, creating a new colony. Things were not as they seemed for the Argonauts. Although they escaped from their pursuers, they did not escape from the ever-watchful eyes of Zeus, who had seen this brutal murder of Absyrtus and punished them by making their journey home much longer than it was meant to. A rogue wind blew them off course and into the Eridanus River, where they traversed the different branches until they reached a new location entirely, the Sardinian Sea. Jason and Medea, look at how your murderous intentions have consequences for everyone. They arrived at the island of Circe, aunt of Medea. Unable to escape their suffering with the blood of fratricide, the ultimate taboo for the Greeks, on their hands, Circe absolved Jason and Medea of murder through the appropriate sacrifices and then learned from Medea what had happened in Colchis. Medea hid her fratricide, but Circe was not deceived. She knew that her brother, King Aetes, would be furious and demanded the lovers leave her home, as she did not approve of the shame Medea has brought to their family. Hera spoke with the sea nymph Thetis. In exchange for the Argo's safe passage across the sea route to the south, Hera promises Medea's hand to Achilles, Thetis' son, once they both enter the Elysian fields. Oh, Medea, how Hera enjoys playing with your heart. As the Argo traveled through the sea, much like Odysseus will in the future, it passed through the lair of the sirens. Their music compels men to fall overboard, but much to the chagrin of the sirens, their music was overpowered by that of Orpheus, who managed to drown out the siren's song with his superior musical talent. The crew of the Argo manages to evade some wandering rocks with the help of the sea nymphs, and they finally made landfall and arrived at Drepane on the western coast of Greece where they encountered the other Colchian fleet. The Colchians demanded Medea's return, or else Aetes would bring terrible conflict upon them. Medea then approached Queen Arete and pleads to not be returned to her father. That night, Queen Arete spoke with her husband, King Alcinous, who has been asked to mediate the situation involving Medea. Alcinous confides to Arete that his decision had been made. He intended to give Medea to the Colchians, if, and only if, she remained unmarried. Alcinous fell asleep after this conversation, and Arete rushed to have her serving woman reveal this information to the lovers. Jason and Medea immediately married in a sacred cave located on the island, and they took for their bridal bed the thing that brought them together, the Golden Fleece. Gross. If I were Aedes, I would just let them keep it at this point. <laughs> the following morning, Alcinous made his decision. Seeing that Medea has been wed, she was to stay with Jason. The Colchians, disappointed at their failed mission and afraid to disappoint Aedes, colonized a nearby location in lieu of returning to face their king. Leaving Drapane, another rogue wind steered the Argo off course to Aertes, a sandbank off Libya. With the ship stuck fast and seeing no way to escape the situation, the Argonauts entered a depressed mood and began to part from one another to meet their ends alone. Medea and her maidservants lamented their fate, distraught at how their actions have brought their doom. Jason was then visited by the guardians of Libya, who in a riddle told him to save themselves from the sands. Jason is dumbfounded by these instructions, but the witty Peleus correctly guessed the answer to the riddle. The Argo must be carried across their backs. For twelve days and nights, they carried the Argo upon their backs, suffering under the weight of their ship. Their throats parched, their legs trembling, they accomplished a feat that only the blood of immortals could. From afar, they are rewarded with a sight more precious than gold. They arrived at Lake Triton and the Garden of the Hesperides. 
guardians of the golden apples of immortality. When they approached the Hesperides, they heard some astonishing news. Heracles had arrived just the day before to complete his eleventh labor, stealing the golden apples of immortality. The Argonauts were distraught that they have had to leave once more without their companions. Maybe you should have thought of that before he left them behind because he wanted to look for his friend? It seemed like the gods had greater glories in store for Heracles. As they spoke of the Hesperides, the Argonauts lost two more companions, Mopsus and Canthus, the former dying from a snake bite and the latter from a wound given to him by a local shepherd. Trident appeared from the lake and after receiving libations from Orpheus, revealed a route to the Argonauts that would take them from the lake to the open sea. He then gave Euphemus a clod of magic earth as an offering for friendship, which would eventually become the island of Thera. The Argonauts, in return for Trident's aid, gave him a sacrificial tripod. We end our tale as the heroes arrive at the island of Anafe, where they honor Apollo and Aegine, and set a festival where they compete for their own amusement. If you so wish to learn the future of the lovers Jason and Medea, and to see if their ending is either happy or a tragedy, join us next time as we retell Medea by Euripides. Now that our story is complete, let us prepare for our discussion of Jason and the Argonauts. Please join us for part two of the discussion, which will be posted as a separate episode due to its length. As I mentioned earlier, my friend, Brendan Foster, our editor, joins us for this and gives many a good explanation of everything we see here, while I take us on some tangents with and without his aid. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider giving us an iTunes review or even messaging me via email. I'd love to hear from you and reviewing on iTunes will help our show grow more. If you do have anything you want to say, feel free to look us up on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as The History of Sacartvelo, Georgia, on Twitter at History underscore Georgia, on our website at historyofsacartvelo.com, or on our email at thehistoryofsacartvelo.georgia at gmail.com. Sacartvelo is spelled S-A-Q-A-R-T-V-E-L-O. Madloba da Nachfamdis, and thank you for listening to the history of Sacramento, Georgia. See you in part two. <laughs>